This is my instant reaction for The Fablemans. Now, is this is this movie um um auto auto erotica? Can one write their own hagiography? That's the question. Hagiography. Can one write their own uh, biographical self-aggrandizement? Now that sounds negative. Sounds negative. But if you don't know what The Fable Middens is, it is a, the most recent film by Steven Spielberg, the last of the new Hollywood directors with old Hollywood sensibilities. I don't know that we could completely say he's technically new Hollywood, although I think he's definitely new mainstream Hollywood. But um, yeah, he, he, uh, he made a movie about his love of movies, and it, was also, it also tends to be semi-autobiographical and when you watch the film you can there's a stand-in for him essentially and rather than being steven it's sam or sammy um and to what degree i'm certainly no spielbergian expert but to what degree um we're watching his real history or or a rewrite of history or a myth making right where the where the self-mythologizing begins and ends and where the real history begins and ends i don't really know i'm sure that there's a like a vox article or a buzzfeed article out there it's like you know five facts from the fablemans that are actually true um paul dano stars as his father who is a brilliant engineer uh really one of the people who worked on some of the earliest computers um and gets opportunities with ge and uh, elsewhere and uh Michelle Williams plays his mother, Mitzi, who um, is 1950s, 1960s, kind of stay-at-home mom figure, but who was a virtuoso in uh, a piano uh, and being a piano player and, uh, and musically and is really kind of a gypsy soul. That's the best way to describe her, maybe with a touch of some uh, mental health issues, and that seems fairly likely. And then there's him and his three sisters, three, I think, maybe four. Uh, and he's the oldest. And after witnessing his first movie, um, The Greatest Show on Earth, little Steven Spielberg, a.k.a. Sam Fableman, becomes obsessed with the idea of imagery. And it's you know very clear from the very first shot of the first scene of the movie that here's this little child who is... Um, caught in between these two influences in his life. There is his father who is a mechanically inclined, mathematically inclined, science inclined genius who is really focused on logic. But that it, that's not to say that he doesn't have room for whimsy in his life because he married a woman who is almost nothing but whimsy. She's whimsy and melancholy. And I, I'm certainly not going to diagnose somebody, but the, the portrayal of this character uh, and whether this is true to his real life mother or not, uh, speaking of Spielberg, pronouns pal, um, it would definitely seem that she's, in the old timey term, minute depressive, bipolar. 
and she's got a lot of ups and downs. And she, on the other hand, is all about art and dreams and fantasy and whatnot. But she has a deep appreciation and a deep um, fascination and adoration with her husband's genius. So in a lesser movie, and again, to where this is true to his life and where it is, and I don't know. But in a lesser movie, these kind of opposing forces would be oil and water to each other and have a very loveless kind of marriage, or at least after a certain while. And, um, you know, he'd be torn apart between his ultra supportive mother who wants him to follow the, follow his dreams and live a life of adventure and artistry because, you know, as a woman, she didn't get her opportunity or whatnot. And then the dad would be, by God, you got to get a degree because science. And there are certain elements of, of that that are there, but it's all played more subtly and it is more, there's more love baked in. So there, it's an empathetic portrayal of everybody in the movie. And you can understand just about everybody in the film's perspective. There is a turn in the movie, which I will not cover. Um, a couple of turns, but there is a turn in the movie that is um, fairly immediately obvious. Uh, but it's, it's, it's not meant to be not obvious to us. It's just not obvious to the, the characters in the film. And so when it happens, you're really watching the impact of... of uh, people's choices and um, the decisions that we make to pursue our what we love versus what is practical versus career versus what is, in some cases, even what is right. And the movie, really, if I had to summarize it, is it's really about the moral quandary of pursuing passion. Um, because on the one hand, you have this character, Sammy, who is so passionate about film that when he discovers it, uh, everything else in his life kind of takes a little bit of a backseat. And to be in the film business, this is essentially, because Spielberg also wrote this, is essentially saying that to be in the film business, you kind of have to do this Faustian bargain of you have to sell a little bit of your soul. You know, to, to be a, a, a naturally gifted artist um, you have to work really hard at getting the opportunity and you have to endure and you have to, one of the characters says something offhandedly about, you have to suffer, right? And so you have to suffer for your art. You have to suffer for self-expression. That it is, that it, you are free to do so, but there are consequences for you pursuing your dreams. And that's where his father is actually correct. And of course, what you see is that Spielberg, in this case, Sam, is his both his father and his mother. He is both the idealistic dreamer, always looking to the magic hour, but he is also the meticulous engineering mind who wants to control every detail of what's in the frame. And that's actually his motivation for being a director. So it's not opposed or in favor of one parent over the other. He's actually the byproduct of this unusual relationship that they have with each other and the family that he grew up in. So he's reckoning with that, but he's also reckoning with the fact that if you pursue those things which you are most passionate about, the things which you love the most, it is very likely going to hurt the people around you. And that applies to film, 
but it applies to a lot of other things in life as well. And there is collateral damage. Now, we never get past a certain point in Sam's life, so we don't really, this is not like a, a, a biopic of Spielberg, okay? This is, we're not like, we never get to see him, you know, um, I, I made a joke on Twitter about an after credit scene in the film that, you know, the my theater went berserk when Sam walked into a bar and met George Lucas, you know, uh, in the after credit scene. Like, but like, this is not that sort of movie. There are definitely, it's not like uh, Shakespeare in Love or something or Lucas in Love where it's like, and this is, I'm going to make a movie called Indiana Jones. And yes, I know that was Lucas's idea. But, but what you see is you see through, the, through the, the movies that Sam makes and through the things that he's interested in and the things that are the travels in his life and the things that you see and the way certain things are framed and the way even certain shots move and are composed, there are subtle references to a lot of works that Spielberg not only directed, but that he also produced. And so you basically, this is, this is as much a, a sort of a, a origin story for Spielberg as it is a, dis, a descriptor of what love cost us as much as it is sort of a origin story for Amblin. Really, you know, there's there's beach references. It's all subtle and it's all grounded in reality, but you can see, oh, here's where these things subconsciously work in him. The fact that, well, he hates the beach. Um, the fact that he has a swim test, you know. Um, and again, it's not beach over the head like, and then he made Jaws. It doesn't work that way. Um, there's a road trip through the desert. It's like dual. There's and again, if there's not like they got his family got chased down by a guy in a semi truck and uh, but you know there's mountainscapes that look uh, reminiscent of Close Encounters. There's definitely you can see where his fascination with the Second World War comes from, uh, which would obviously be done in a more populist way and a more popular culture way through things like Indiana Jones, and then of course he would take more serious tack with it, the Schindler's List and some of his subsequent work, Bridge of Spies, whatnot. So the, the, the war aspect of it, um, that fascinates him. Um, uh, his Jewish roots are definitely here. And you can see, as we talked about uh, with uh, guest um, Brian Scuttle, about like one of the first times he ever explores pre-Schindler's List, his Jewish roots, is as a producer for an American tale, speaking about immigration and for, of, of European Jews to the United States. And it's done through the, the portrayal of mice in animated form, but that's really the first time he's really wrestling with that stuff. And that's here. That's there's there's some Feifel Mouskovitz sort of stuff in here. Um, there's a lot in here. Um, there's there's definitely some ET stuff going on here. And, and I don't want to get into spoilers, but if you know what I mean, you know what I mean. Um, and you see it all. Uh, I think one of the most interesting things that doesn't completely carry itself through to the end of the movie, one of the most interesting things of the first maybe hour and a half, two hours, is there does seem to be just slight subtle allusions to something supernatural, that there, that there is something mystically at work with, around the lives of the people in the fablemans within their life. And you can say, oh, well, this sort of, I don't, I don't even know what the right word, but that 80s 
Spielbergian magical realism that he had in a lot of his movies where it's like, yeah, he's going to make, you know, or produce or help write and conceive of poltergeist. There's a hundred percent an element, a couple elements of poltergeist in here. And you go, ah, right. There's just other aspects. There's a little back to the future in here. There's one crane shot. It might've been digital, but there's one crane shot out of one particular scene where I was like, I've seen this shot a million times. I know he didn't direct it. He produced it. I'm like, and there's homages to other directors that he came up with or that he has had relationships with. And they're very, very subtle, but it's just the simple choice of some composition work. It's the subtle choice of the way the camera moves. Um, you do, there's a couple little things where I'm like, oh, that's a little zemeckis Now, is that because he's alluding to Zemeckis as, you know, his partners in film, one of his partners in filmmaking? Or is that because he was on set that day and he was always kind of a heavy-handed producer and said, shoot it this way? I don't know. Um, what I would say is I think the movie is, especially the first hour and a half, I want to say, is, this is going to really upset some folks is maybe the best work he's done in 30 years. Um, I went into this movie very cold. I went into it, not really caring about it. I went into it, not really just not even really wanting to see it. I just be honest with you, but I figured I, I need to do my due diligence. So I'm going to go see this movie. I'm, again, I'm not a Spielbergian aficionado. I'm not a Spielberg expert. I'm not a, you know, the, the place that he held in my mind and heart, it's gone a long time ago. And in, in, it was really a couple of instances. One, it was the lost world. And then two, it was a comment he made where he essentially said that he knew Kingdom of the Crystal Skull wasn't any good. And he made this comment and he just said, but see, sometimes you just got to sell the car. Right. And it was in a larger context of sometimes you, 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 sell, you sell something because you believe in it. Sometimes you just got to sell it because that's your job. You just got to sell the car. And I thought, maybe he's always been that way, but it felt at odds with the guy who made Raiders of the Lost Ark, or at least the mythology of Spielberg in my head. And then he went off and did a bunch of World War II, you know, movies, and it was, you know, all adaptations of books your dad would have bought. You know, there were 600 pages from Borders, you know? Like, I, I just don't care about that. I really don't. So, um... He lost me, and I hate War of the Worlds. I hate it. Um, so if you, if you really want to ask me, I think his last, like, great film is probably, now I will say some of his work in West Side Story as a director was, was uh, a return to form. Um, and I think that part of it, is, part of what it was, I would say Minority Report, but I think part of what it is is he's a classicist. He's a classical director. He's patterned himself off of Frank Capra and, and Orson Welles and John Ford and those sort of people, as did Lucas to some extent. But Spielberg got something that they, he, he naturally had something that they also had. But he also was somehow able to imbue his movies with some kind of other thing that I can't quite put my finger on, but you know it when you see it. It's not just a style. It's not a choice of shot composition. It's not even just the material he chooses to direct. 
or that he writes, there's just this ineffable quality to his greater works. And that's been missing. He, he became a modernist filmmaker. Yes, he's still Spielberg, and so he's always going to be a good director, but he became more modernist, and, and he just completely lost me. It's not that I needed him to make Indiana Jones movies forever, but there was something just lost in the soup of it all. Um, and I think the last glimpses of it you see are in Minority Report. And yet you saw it rekindle with West Side Story because I think, I think at this stage in his life, he is not just exploring the things that shaped him you know, and shaped the world he was raised in, which is something we all do, but he's now sort of returning to his youth. And in that way, it's like, that's the guy. There we go. That's the guy. That, that, whatever that thing is that he imparted to adventure serials that he grew up with, uh, or you know, him and Lucas, in the better Indiana Jones movies, it's here. Whatever it is that he put into E.T., which is a very modern movie, especially for its time, it was a very contemporary film with sort of classic sensibilities, it's here. And it doesn't make it a complete nostalgia piece. It doesn't make it just, well, here's a baby boomer like reflecting on his life and being like, aren't I great? I understand that certain people could take it that way. I didn't take it that way at all. I took it as to be about much broader things while also happening through the vehicle of him kind of being able to tell his own story and in some way explain why I, you know, speaking of Spielberg, why I love the movies. And also, it's not just a completely entirely rosy picture. I think a surface level reading of the movie would be movies are magic. Look how magic everything is. Uh, and Steven Spielberg is the most magical director. But that, I think, it cuts actually against what he's actually saying here. I think this is a man who is returning to his youth now with some wisdom gained from his years. And yes, there's mythology here, but he is using mythology to tell a very particular moral story. And the story is that he has his fascination with film has cost him things that were dear to him in his life. That it has disrupted, been a disruptive, maybe even at times destructive force in his life. But it's also brought him all the good things. And it's also something that he could not have done. He would have been more, his life would have been more destroyed without it than it was ever destroyed with it. And that's really interesting. So when you have a movie that's, yes, it's about this thing, but it's also about something more than that, then that's, that's universal. So this isn't just, no, universal, no pun intended. It's not just a, hey, you know, Spielberg, uh, you know, patting himself on the back and saying, boy, I'm the best. Ain't I great? Like, that's just not what this movie is. Some critiques I would have of it. Um, there's a middle portion of the movie that it's too long. Uh, it's too long. There's a, it's, at times it almost feels like three movies. And each of those three movies is interesting on its own terms. And there is a connective through line through, you know, it's a three-act structure, but each of those acts feels almost independent, like its own, could have been its own film. That just tells me that the material material here is rich enough that at times it could have been, we could have developed more and finished the movie about a certain chapter 
and not that I would have wanted a trilogy of Fablemans, but it's a very rich film. In the middle, there's a lag. Now, I think the people's mileage of the payoff of the middle will vary. And that is maybe the part where we get into the most self-aggrandizing, but that's not quite the right word. That There's a middle portion where that might be where we get to the most narcissistic, where it's like, uh. But I think it, by the time that that, wrap, that wraps itself up, you go, uh, right? It's just it's a reinforcement of the theme, which is really what, what you want in your second act. Um, and that's what's going to lead us to the place in our third act. Um, the only other critique that I have is that it, it kind of it goes on for a long time. But as somebody who didn't want to see it, I was immediately drawn into the world. I was immediately drawn in to the performances. I think Paul Dano does an excellent job. It's not necessarily something you've never not seen him do before. Um, Michelle Williams, who is good in pretty much everything she's ever been in, this might be the best performance of her career. And I feel like I just said this a year or two ago and she was in something else, but uh, she is so believable physically, emotionally, um, voice wise, like her, just everything about her is so believable as a kind of deeply troubled woman who means well, but is, and, and is a very loving person and vivacious. And you understand why people are spellbound by her, but you also understand why at times uh, people are sick of her shit. So, because it's a lot to fucking deal with. She's a lot. Um, and even to herself, you understand why she at times is sick of herself. She's a bit of a tortured soul. And I mean, Michelle Williams was made for that. And she's just, she's great in it. Two scene stealers are Judd Hirsch. And there's another scene which if you've seen the movie, you know, I won't save because of spoilers, but, uh, I, Judd Hirsch, I think that was maybe my, my favorite scene in the entire film. And we need that scene because otherwise it definitely would feel like it was just ambling about, you know, we would ultimately feel like we're just, we are literally just wandering around in like some random guy's fucking life. And it's like, okay, we all come from families and all of our families have problems and we all have passions. What's the point of this? And I think his character introduction brings about a greater thematic resonance. Um, you only need that one scene. And you only need him to hit it out of the park. Now, I've heard, as I bring myself to a close here, I've heard some professional film critics say, oh, well, this is not like anything you've ever seen from Steven Spielberg before. This is not just a... Uh, overly saccharine, sentimental thing. This is, he's really going into the dark side with some of this stuff. And I'm just going, having seen the movie, um, he, no, this is akin to anything else he's ever done. He's always gone to these places. There's always been darkness at the core of his sentimentality. There's always been darkness at the core of his, I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark is about fucking Nazis. And yeah, they're comic book Nazis or they're pulp novel Nazis, but their faces get melted off. So him reconciling with anti-Semitism, him reconciling with darkness that exists in the world, him putting dark, spooky, scary shit. There's a reason why this guy partnered with Don Bluth to get an animation. 
because he's always been attracted to let's do high concept, fantastical adventure, feel good, rock and socket movies that have a lot of heart, a lot of warmth to them, and also have something really fucking scary and dark. A guy, it, Poltergeist is a guy ripping his own face off. Come on. Uh, he produced that movie, but he wrote it. So come on, watch any of his movies. Close Encounters is a half-ass horror film. You know, this is the guy who killed a kid on a beach on the 4th of July. You know, for Jaws. I mean, come on. This, there's always been darkness in Spielberg. And I, I, I think this is a, a, a... Honestly, I think if he... I, I don't know if he's scheduled to direct anything else. He's getting up there. What a day that's going to be, right? Uh, when he passes. But I think this is the, the, the best work that this guy's done in 20 years. 21, 22 years. He's made other good movies. He's a good director. He's never not been a good director except for The Lost World. That movie's directed not exceptionally well, and even he will admit it was not his best work. But it's if the if the if he said that's it, I'm retired. That's my last film. I think it is a perfect capstone to his career. You know, if he said I'm just going to produce from here on out, maybe do some TV or something, whatever. I got you. But if this is like I'm sure he's scheduled to do something else. But if he, if he, if if if, if he were to say this is the last film I'm going to direct, I think this is a. You'd be hard pressed to have a better swan song. So, go out while you're on top, Stevie, Sammy, Steve, Sam. Go out while you're on top. Great film. Uh, I give it four stars. Um, I could see a lot of people being turned off by it. A lot of people being bored by it. I think this is a real movie that you need to see on a big screen if you're going to see it because I think sitting through this on your television, you're, you're, it's, it's going to be preventative for you being able to feel immersed in the experience. I'm not going to dig into spoilers here because there's really nothing else about this movie other than its plot. Like, that sounds bizarre to say, but there's, there's not like, well, I can tell you the plot, but you have to see it for yourself. If I tell you the plot, that's, that's going to diminish the film. So you have a general sense of what it is. And um, yeah, uh, I think you know if this movie's for you or if it isn't. However, I would have said this movie's probably not for me. Ended up loving it, which might just mean I'm getting old. I don't know. But uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm, I got to wait to see if it makes my best of for the end of the year, which I should be doing in the not too distant future over in another show with B. Dizzle. No, no. I'm doing worst of with B. Dizzle. I'm doing best of uh, on a different podcast from a similar part of the world. So I got confused there. I got too many, too many irons in the fire. Um, okay. B. Dizzle, I will see you shortly. Other podcast, I'll hear from you shortly. Patrons, thank you for your support. If you like these instant reactions and you want them even more instantaneously, the best place to find them is on Patreon, patreon.com slash binge movies. Become a clerk or higher, uh, and you become, uh, you get access to instant reactions as long as, as, as well as other content. Um, that sound you just heard was my brain misfiring because I'm tired. So it's time to end the show. Just go to Patreon, patreon.com slash binge movies. You just missed the binge movies holiday party. Uh, it was scantily populated, 
by so few of our employees, but the employees came who did show up, showed up and had a party at a festival. And my special thanks to our special guest, the champion of the unnamed trivia game, who now has to share co-champion duties, the Lady Juan, who did an incredible job putting together a trivia game uh, uh, about the show and about movies and all kinds of stuff. It was really fun. I got my ass whooped by elite patron of the show, Heather Sachs. Uh, so thank you, Heather, for whipping my ass. Uh, go see Fablements. All right. Until next time, binge on. Binge on.